Looking at Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? And again, he, that would be Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for familiar passages of Scripture. And we thank you that the things we can learn here are useful for us as a church and for individuals. Father, show us the things we need to hear from you today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In verse 1, it says, It was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. Specifically, he came back to Capernaum. And it's important that we notice that he was back in Capernaum because he had been to Capernaum previously. In chapter 1, verse 21, it says, When they went into Capernaum, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And in verse 35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And in verse 39, he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee, casting out demons. So Jesus was in Capernaum earlier, and he left and went on a preaching tour. And then he came back to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a favorite place of Jesus, and he could have been anywhere else, and there was a lot of places I'm sure he could go, but he came back to Capernaum. It was one of his favorite places to be. And we realize that uh, as we read through the scriptures and as we preach sermons, a lot of times we come back to our favorite places. And the Gospels are some of my favorite places to preach from. This is a familiar passage of scripture. I understand the Awana group just recently looked at this passage of scripture. And a lot of times Bible school classes will center on this passage of scripture. And there's an important place we come back to our favorite places. It's an important reason for that. And Jesus came back to his favorite place, and this was the Capernaum. Quite specifically, it was the house of Peter, the apostle Peter. 
As we mentioned Wednesday night, as we looked at some of the background of the book of Mark, Peter says in the last chapter of his first letter, he talks about Mark, my son. Mark was not an apostle. He was not one of the original 12, but he was a disciple of Peter. He called him my son. Well, we know he wasn't the literal son of, of Peter. So what was Peter saying? This is my disciple. I'm mentoring him. He's following me. And so we understand that, that what Mark is teaching here and is writing, all of it or just about all of it came from the apostle Peter. So naturally, Peter would say, he stayed at my house at Capernaum, and then he went on this preaching tour, and he's back in the house, right? So here's what we're dealing with. Jesus is in the house. One thing is made perfectly clear in this passage of Scripture. When Jesus is in the house, whether it be in our homes or in our church, we cannot expect business as usual. Because when Jesus is in the house, things are going to happen. And did you notice the last phrase that we saw in this passage of Scripture? People are looking around and said, We've never seen anything like this before. That's what happens when Jesus comes into a church. That's what happens when Jesus is in our homes. Three things we notice about what happens when Jesus is in the house. First of all, his presence will draw people into our lives. Now, in this case, it was a crowd. As it was said in verse 2, immediately... Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. You see, when we are experiencing Jesus in a house, when it's in a church situation, God brings people here because Jesus is going to draw folks. And in this situation, we see it over and over in the life of Jesus. In Capernaum, a little bit earlier, in chapter 1, verse 33, it says, The whole city was gathered together at the door at this same house. So you might say, well, Jesus is coming back to the same place, so people are used to coming there anyway. So it's all about location. This house must have been in a good corner of town because people came before and they're coming now. So what we need to do is find a place in town in the other towns that are similar to this place. And if we can get to that good location, people will come. Well, let's go a little bit further through the scriptures. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. Wait a minute, we're, we're in a different spot here. But it says all the multitude came to him. Verse 15, now it happened. He was dining in Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners also sat with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. There we have another location in somebody else's house, and the crowd is gathering together. Chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. Look down in verse 20. The multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. The whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Chapter 5, 
verse 24. Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Chapter 6, verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. We could go on through the book of Mark. And over and over again, I think we've seen a pattern here. Wherever Jesus was, whether it was in a home or out in a wilderness area, by the seaside, great multitudes gathered together. So we understand it didn't have as much to do with location as maybe one of the civic leaders may have thought when he thought about, now I wonder where I'm going to put another church here so Jesus can draw the crowds. About 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, out in California, area pastor went out and started asking people who did not go to church, why don't you like to go to church? And he asked people who didn't go to church what they did not like about church. What's keeping you from coming to church? And he made a list of everything that they didn't like about church and tried to change those things because we certainly wanted to bring a crowd. Folks didn't like the fact that there's a pulpit on the uh, stage area. So off went the pulpit. Maybe a little plexiglass stand, didn't want the pulpit there. Folks didn't like the fact there were hymn books and there were old songs. So out went the hymn books and in came new songs. Some of them were so brand new, nobody even knew the words. They put the, the words up on the screen. People wanted videos. They didn't want people just talking to them. Uh, the pastor has a tie on. They don't like those ties, and that's the reason people aren't coming to church because the pastor has a tie on. They don't feel comfortable. All the while, up in New York City, there's a waiting list and people standing in line to get to the Tonight Show. And you know what Jimmy Fallon wears? A tie. You know what David Letterman wore? A tie. You know what Jay Leno wore? A tie. People are lining up to get into there. Folks, it's not the tie. <laughs> and just because you have pastors that dress professionally, that's not it. Then it was, well, we don't like the crosses because it makes it seem too religious. Hey, it's church. So what happened was... Then people began to clear the podium. They began to take away the hymnals. They began to take away the tie, pull out the shirt tail, and nothing is wrong with all that, but they begin to do all these things thinking, maybe if we changed our style, the crowds would come. Folks, it's not about dress codes and music style and furniture on the altar area. When people feel the presence of Jesus Christ in our church, people will come. And how do they feel the presence of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul said it this way. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means our lives are so devoted and so wrapped up in following him that's what people see. They see the kindness of the Lord, the integrity of the Lord. They see the honesty of Christ. We're transparent. We're approachable. They know they can trust us, and they see the love of Christ. When Jesus is in the house, people are going to come. Now, it may not be people coming to the point where we don't have room, but sometimes that happens. Sometimes it has happened here. 
and it is happening now. Now, you may look around, if, and if Sunday morning is your church experience, I'm glad you're here every Sunday morning, but if you've never driven by here or been up here on Wednesday, Jesus in the house, and the house is filling up. It's filling up with kids. And let me tell you, some of these kids, two of them can fill a room up, right? <laughs> and sometimes we have over 100 Hundred kids coming. Why are they coming? It's not the program. It's not the music. It's not the gimmicks. There's a crew of folks here who love Jesus and who love kids, and the kids know it, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're coming. And like some of these situations, there's some nights they're filling up the house. They're, we're running out of room. You see, when Jesus is in the house, people are going to come. Better be ready, because when people come, it's not business as usual. But let me go into a personal level. When Jesus is in our homes, God will bring people to us. Now, it may not be crowds, but it's people that God brings into our life that need Jesus. And that's happened right here. Yes, there was a crowd gathered around the door, but you know what happened? One person was brought to Jesus Christ because he was in the house. And when people know that Jesus is in our lives and in our home, people will come into our lives and they tell you, be ready. Be ready. Be ready to share Jesus with them. Because some of these people are hurting and have such unimaginable needs. And you think, why, why are they coming to me? Jesus is in the house, and people can feel that. When Jesus is in the house, his presence will draw people into our lives. And secondly, when Jesus is in the house, the focus will always be on the word. It says in verse 2, immediately, many gathered together. There was no longer room to receive them, not even the door. And he preached the word to them. Isn't that something? Of all the things he could do, he preached the word to them. And that's one of the things that was on that little survey that people didn't like about church. We come to church and we, we hear, too much, hear too much Bible. They didn't want to hear too much Bible. They want to hear somebody just chat. And, of course, understand, who were they surveying? People who didn't come to church. Well, of course they don't want to hear the Bible because the Bible convicts us. They didn't want to hear that. So Jesus gets this crowd together and it's like, oh no, I don't want to get too preachy here because then they'll leave. What did he do? He preached the word to them and the word took center focus. Now I want to look in chapter 1, verse 38. Chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. Look at this last phrase. For because for this purpose, I have come forth. Did you catch that? Let's go preach in the other towns. That's the reason I'm here. Jesus in the house. Because people need the word. And Jesus said, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm in the house. That's why I'm on the earth. Let's go preach the word to them. Quite specifically, if you'll back up a little bit further, in verse 14 of chapter 1. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, 
repent and believe the gospel. He came preaching the word, but specifically he preached the gospel. And the gospel is good news, literally. Good news. So therefore, Jesus is in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, the focus will be on the word, not on music styles. They they're come and go, and I like all those music styles. Not on the furniture, not on the dress code. The focus is on the word. And yes, you can present the word without a tie on. I've done it before. We can present the word in other areas. You can present the word outside. You can present the word anywhere. So we understand it's not the location and it's not all these other things. It is the word that gets things done. Now there's two words for preach in the Greek. We have one word which is called preach. The first one is caruso, which is what we would think of as a formal declaration. And sometimes when you think of preaching, that may be what you think of. Kind of like a political speech. You notice how much different speech pattern there is when somebody's making a political speech. And preaching, there's a word for that, caruso, but it means a formal declaration, much like an attorney presenting his evidence in court and a judge who is bringing the sentence. Now, Jesus did that, and he did it well. It was always appropriate when he did that. But there's another word, and that Greek word means more of an informal conversation. Jesus was in the house, and this is the word that is used here, not the formal declaration, although Jesus did that. Jesus, in his conversation with the people, was bringing the good news with, to them. Now, that tells us this. It's not that preaching doesn't have a place when it comes to formal preaching. It means this, the gospel the good news of the love of Jesus Christ should infuse our everyday conversation. He was bringing everyday conversation in the style with them. He was just talking with them. But he was including the word. He wasn't just chatting with them. He was including the word in the way he interacted with the crowds. Now we leave here and you will encounter people that I'll never see. So they may never hear a formal sermon from me from the pulpit, but they'll hear you. And you see, when Jesus is in the house, in the home, in the heart, the word takes focus, but that word weaves itself into our conversations and into our lifestyle. And the word literally is good news, the good news of the gospel. That should be an influence on how we deal with others. That should be an influence. Whether or not we quote scripture to them, the gospel should influence how we talk to others. The focus will always be on the word. And then thirdly, Jesus will always address the real problems. Now before we go any further uh, and, and look at the last part of what happened, it says Jesus saw their faith and then he begins to deal with the paralytic, and we know he forgave the sins, and we know he healed him. And we have the question, he saw their faith. You have to ask the question, wait a minute. How is it that Jesus saw the faith of these four guys, and this other man is healed? And where is it where the efforts, and, and, and the efforts of man meet up with the ability of God? And, and, and where's all that? Where's that line drawn? 
If you'll come tonight, we're going to address that, okay? So I want you to come tonight. We're going to be looking at that particular question. You see, we're giving another commercial on what happens on Sunday night. You come, and we're going to look at that. We're going a little bit further now on the last point. Jesus will always address the real problem. In verse 5, Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, let's look at the obvious problem this man had. The obvious problem is the fact that he was paralyzed. There's paralysis. <clears throat> and anybody who's paralyzed, that is a problem. And it causes all kinds of other problems. This whole man's life was affected by the fact that he was paralyzed. <clears throat> and these people were so concerned about his need, they took the effort to bring him to Jesus. And they bring him all the way to Jesus, going through all the effort to go up and let him down through the roof. Jesus looks at him, totally ignores the paralysis. What? We came all this way to bring our buddy here because he couldn't walk? And you're not even addressing the paralysis? You see, Jesus needed to see the real problem. And the real problem was this. Whether or not this man walked another step, he was destined for an eternity in hell because of his sin. And Jesus said, that's the real problem today. That's the real problem. You see, we all come together, and we're a collection of problems. We have problems. Sometimes they're serious health problems. Sometimes they're relationship problems. Sometimes they're financial problems. Sometimes they're problems in another category. And I don't even know where to put these problems. We all have those kind of problems. And Jesus looks at our life, regardless of the other problems we face, the first and foremost problems we have as humans is a sin problem. All of us. All of us. And Jesus knew that this man's sin caused a greater eternal problem than any other problem he had, even the paralysis. And it wasn't just sin, it was his sin. And regardless of the problems we may have, but let's turn that corner around. Regardless of the advantages we may have, and Jesus met people that had everything going for them. You know what he said to them? You repent. The sin problem was there too. So we realized Jesus looked past the obvious and saw the real problem was sin. His sin, we all have that. And Jesus offered the remedy because what, did, what was he doing? He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the gospel of the kingdom of God was summed up when Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. And he took the cup and said, this is the blood that will be shed for the remission of sin. I have come to solve your sin problem. And the life and the person and the death of Jesus Christ offered a remedy for the sin problem. And we all have the sin problem. His resurrection from the grave assured us he can handle that problem. John, who of course is one of the disciples, said it this way. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Yes, he had some very serious issues in his life because he was paralyzed. But as serious as those issues are, nothing compared to the sin problem that needed to be dealt with. So Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. I will take care of your most serious problem. 
Well, we go a little bit further. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoned in their heart, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit they reasoned thus within themselves, he said, why do you reason these things in your heart? The second thing Jesus addressed, the real problem in the crowd, was the resistance to his message. Now, he said he, he saw that they reasoned these things in their heart. There, there was no obvious evidence of this. And you see, these people were the VIP of the community. The scribes, the Pharisees, these were the most important people of the community. So you might say, Jesus, you're lucky to have them here. And they're probably sitting up for the front where they could see, you know, what's going on. They wanted to be prominent, and so they were pretty much prominent when they came in. And so everybody says, man, this crowd has got a lot of status and prestige because all the important people in town are here. Jesus, you better talk nice to these folks because they are the ones who are the gatekeepers of the community. And so Jesus looks at him and said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Well, that's no way to treat a VIP if you are in public relations. But you see, Jesus is not in public relations, is he? He is in eradicating the problem. And their problem was resistance to Jesus Christ that nobody else could see. And here's the lesson. That may be in your life. There may be some resistance to Jesus, to his word, to his will, to his way in your life. I cannot see that, so I can't address that from here. But I promise you, Jesus just did, didn't he? In the resistance to Jesus Christ, though unseen by humans, was known to Jesus and he addressed this. And then the third thing when we talk about Jesus addressing the real problem, the most important mission field. The most important mission field was presented to this man. And we continue on toward the last part. He said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Go to your house, and I want you to go to your house and take to your house the evidence that Jesus has touched your life. Take that bed. He didn't say throw it away. He said you take your bed to your house. You see, the crowds, all of them, all of them saw what happened. And they said, we've never seen anything like this before. The crowds saw it all. But home must see it. Because that is the most important mission field to any of us. Before we reach the world, we have to carry the evidence of a changed life to our home. And it starts right here. And what it was saying is, yes, Jesus was in that house. But what Jesus wanted to say to this paralytic is, you take this bed home and I'll be in your house through the evidence of what I've done in your life. The most important mission field, your home. A little bit later on, Jesus told the, the man that was in the, the cemetery. He lived in the cemetery. He was a wild man. And Jesus healed him. And he came to know Jesus. 
And it was obvious that Jesus had touched his life. And he said, I want to come and travel like you do. I want to be with you. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and you tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. Go home to your house. Go home to your friends. That's the most important mission field. Yes, we will reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt about that. We must reach our homes. Go home and carry the evidence of a changed life with you. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, don't know what's going on in your life, but we pretty well are guaranteed Jesus does. Problems nobody else knows about, Jesus can handle it. Sin problem nobody would even imagine, Jesus can handle it. Resistance to Jesus Christ, I can't see. Jesus knows about it. He's addressing it. But Jesus is in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, he cares about what's going on in the house. And he cares about you. And if there's an issue, a hurt, a need for decision, don't let this day pass without doing business with Jesus. This man never regretted it. As we stand in